Welcome to the Coco Express, part of the Blog Talk Radio Network. Your host on the Coco Express is Aurelia Lyles. She's all about keeping it real. Great guests, interesting topics. So get on board. Listen, learn, live. Good afternoon and welcome to the Coco Express Show for Saturday, May 16, 2015. I hope you're having a good day. I know I got out this morning and I went for my morning exercise and I so enjoyed it. It is really good to feel the warm weather now. Today is, um, we're going to be discussing a topic that has been in discussion, I guess you can say for a couple of decades. It's not something that we have a an answer for per se, and we do have an answer for it, but it's really hard to be able to fix the situation with all of the other dynamics that we have in place for it. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the um the the father factor and we're gonna have with us joining us Vincent Ellis White, who is an author, activist and playwright and According to the U.S. Census Bureau, 24 million children in America, one to three, live in biological father absent homes. Nine in ten Americans agree this is a crisis due to the father factor affecting most of the social issues in America today, from police brutality to youth delinquency and academic failure. Breakdown in the system has become an all too prevalent. This underscores the fact that children with involved fathers do better across every statistic on child well-being than their peers in father-absent homes. Now, you know, much can be said about that. Much can be said about that. And I'm not one to be able to sit here and debate what the um, statisticians who put all this information together have um, said or how they came about all this information and hopefully when um, our guest joins us he'll be able to go over the dialogue and talk about his various um, entities that he has in place um, where he is discussing this issue where he is using this particular um, issue as his platform for his book and his play He's creating a teaching tool for us to be able to use to understand how this affects us across the board. And it is, you know, it's it's a conversation, it's a dialogue that is very necessary. And we need to really start talking about this on a, um, I guess, on a more frequent level. And um, I'm going to let our guests, join us and have the dialogue so we can just get this started and understand exactly how deep it is and how much it really, really helps us to, to have a better understanding. Hello. Hello. Vincent Ellis White. Yes, ma'am. This is him. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? No, pretty good. I apologize for being late. I thought my, um, my uh, media relations representative was going to connect the call for me. But I didn't get a call, so I decided to look you up and call you myself. Oh, there you go. Thank you so much. No Thank problem. Thank you so much. Now, I was talking about, you know, the statistics and how they affect us um, in such a broad broad manner. 
But before we get into that, let's learn some more about who you are. Okay. Um, you just want me to just start from the beginning, or do you have some specific questions? Well, I'm going to have questions, but I'd rather you tell from the beginning, and then we can move along. Okay. Um, well, my name is Vincent Ellis White, and I am born and raised in Richmond, Virginia. Um, I, you know, have various degrees, and I always like to tell a joke that none of them uh, coincide with one another. Uh, I have an undergrad degree in uh, mass communications. I have a master's degree in education, and I have an executive uh, graduate certificate in business management. And those three um, don't have anything to do with one another, but I was able to tie them all in together. Um, I currently work for the uh, state for the Division of Child Support Enforcement. And it's coincidental with the fact that my story, finding Chris, my father, because um, that's what I work with all day, families, fathers, mothers, uh, you know, help with co-parenting and things of that nature. And um, that's my full-time job. And on the side, I do everything from motivational speaking to, um, you know, I'm an author, writer, I have a traveling stage play. Um, I do, I, I do, I'm a jack of all trades, do a lot of different things. And um, I currently am starting to travel. Um, just around, you know, the world trying to spread my message about finding Chris, my father. Uh, but my main thing that I'm doing now is pushing that story, Finding Chris, My Father, which is a book that I wrote. And it's about me, my crazy crazy story, which is a, a very true story, but it just sounds like a movie when you hear about it. But um, it's about me finding my biological father well into my 20s and thinking that a different person, well, being told that a different person was my father, who was um, a habitual offender, so he was in and out of prison, and I was raised as, with a single mother and a grandmother, and uh, it's just a, it's just a, a very, uh, it's kind of like a whirlwind type story of different things that happened. But I was able to turn that story around and be able to do what I'm doing today, which is help families and things of that nature. And I can definitely give you more insight into the story as we continue. Okay, that's great. Now, that's really interesting um, that you say that your degrees don't correlate. They do coincide with each other in, from my perspective because in order to, okay, in order to educate, you have to be able to communicate, right? Mm-hmm, that's correct. Okay, and in order to educate and communicate effectively to the masses, you have to have some kind of business knowledge, correct? That's right. That is correct. And it's funny you say that. I, I I have tied them in kind of with the same way that you broke it down. It's just that, you know, the society would tell us that your degree has got to coincide, I guess. But what, I, what I've done is that exactly what you said. Like, I have a, my own business um, as an entrepreneur, which is um, DEW Enterprises, um, and it's an LLC, which I handle all my business from my, my stage play promotion to being a liaison with the venues that I use to I even write up the contracts myself. Um and, you know, I do motivational speaking. I do educational workshops, which is the educational portion. And Mass Com, I mean, public speaking. I had my own radio show, online radio show, kind of like yourself, for two years. Um, so I've been able to tie them all in together. It's, it's been, I've even been able to get jobs in unrelated fields, like working for Division of Transport Enforcement. You, you have to have a human services degree or psychology or social services or social work. And um, I actually um, don't have a degree in any of that, but, you know, I've been able to get jobs like that in my field. Yeah, well, because... I, um, I think my media relations person is actually calling me now, but she's a little behind, so I'm, I'm okay. going to stay on here with you. <laughs> okay. Now, 
Now, what I wanted to um, discuss with you, because we're going to get into the whole um, absent father, or rather biological absent father uh, scenario. Okay. Now, okay, the the I you know I titled this the father factor. Now, according to the statistics that you you know you shared with us, and I did share them with our listeners, it says okay. that the absent father syndrome has such a wide, a broad effect on society as a whole. Now, I wanted to know, does it have to be, you know, an absent father or an absent biological father? What's the difference? Oh, man. Well, it kind of, that part kind of depends on the individual. Um, On a whole, it's just an absent father. That's on a whole, statistically. But, um, in regards to being biological or not, I think it depends on the person because there's individuals that will um, not have their biological father there, will have another individual in that place, and that, that individual can do great with them, but they still have this piece missing that's critical to them, and that's the biological father, and that may still cause issues. There's other people that don't have the biological father there but have that same person, another person in place, and they tell a great story. Listen, I, I didn't have my biological father, but such and such was here, and he kept me on track, and, I mean, I'm doing great. No father moves, none of that. But on a whole society, um, and, and, and looking at it from a general perspective, just that wound of not having a father figure there, and most times you just would like it to be the biological father, but not having a father figure there is a very um, – is a very huge epidemic, and there's a lot of things that are actually happening now um, in the current society that can, can be attributed to uh, uh, absentee father. I mean, even in the past, too, but even currently, just with the way that um, our poverty is, 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 is uh, set up and um, the lack of, you know, academics and graduation, things, and those are all symptoms of not having the father there. I mean, if you, if you do the research, those are all symptoms of it, direct symptoms. And so that's why I like to promote this, because if we can actually, we put money into everything else, but if we can put money into finding ways, whether it's classes or whatnot, I mean, in Richmond we have a Richmond Family Fatherhood Initiative here. But if we can have that across the board, and I'm glad Obama's doing, you know, what he's doing with fatherhood, because he he understands it. Mm-hmm. If we can have fathers get on board, and hopefully it'd be the biological fathers, but even not, even mentors and boys and girls clubs and all that type of stuff, we can have fathers get on board a lot of this stuff would change over time. I can guarantee it. The gangs, the gangs would decrease. The violence would decrease. You know, um, poverty would decrease. The academics and graduate number of graduates would increase because it all stems from that right there. Not everything, but that's a big factor. It's a it's a common uh, denominator right there. And so, if those things can be rectified, I guarantee the numbers would change. But people place importance elsewhere, and, and some people get it, but it needs to be. Received on a larger scale. It's funny because um, I try to do my research and, and look at things, and I just happened to wake up and I was looking on uh, Facebook, and I had um, I had found this article on Facebook. Well, it wasn't an article; it was one of those um, judge judge shows, and yeah. she lit in. She laid in. I saw it. Oh my goodness! Did she? <laughs> oh, you saw that one. Yes, said it today, and I and I just I shared it on my uh, Facebook, and I said, "Man, I love it because people in those places of those positions of power, like Obama, like judges, 
and, you know, and hopefully senators and stuff like that, they need to be the ones that really put it out there because people listen to them. And so, you see, she just had a moment, and she just went in. He just so happened to be the person, you know, in front of her. Apparently, he wasn't doing what he needed to do. But she just talked. She said, I know it's not you, but it's, it's just, you know, it, this is what's happening. There's been a shift. And I mm-hmm. love that she said it because there has been a shift. Um, that's not the way God designed it. I mean, you know, you're talking about research. I mean, if we go way back, it just it's, it's not designed that way. We, as men, are supposed to be doing everything she said, really. I mean, if anybody saw it, like, we're supposed to step up and be providing for our, our two children, you know, be there for them, um, be the example, let them see the example. But nowadays, how are you going to see them when they're not there? Or, right. or when they're there, but they're putting their hands on a woman. Or when they're there, but they're sneaking around and they got multiple women. Or, mm-hmm. you know, when they're not there because they're back and forth in jail. That's what I saw. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's like when, mm-hmm. we, when we see that, then how, how do we know how to act growing up if we don't have somebody in place? Right, but I think it's a more it's deeper and it starts much further back than than we really want to acknowledge. I believe it comes from us being here from slavery. And I know everybody's like, Oh, I'm sick and tired of hearing the whole slavery, you know, issue and story. But if you really look at it from that perspective, that was the foundation for us. Yeah. And yeah, and when you look at what was done, how Families were separated, how men were sold off, women were sold off, children were sold off. And, you know, all those dynamics that came into place, that was kind of ingraining in us this particular behavioral mindset and attitude. How do you you change that? How do you fix that? Because you got to start deep. Well, the thing is, I mean... It, it it's all about action. Like, I'm not saying that it's going to be fixed today. I'm not saying it's going to be fixed 100 years from now. But at the same time, I know what doesn't work. And and that's the thing. And you got to figure out what's not working. you got to figure out why, how we get to this point. And you made a good point there. But we also got to look at what's not working, what's not happening, what's not in place. And the thing is, let's okay, so it is a deep wound. And it goes all the way back to slavery. Let's, if we If we say that, we don't. We don't not do anything because it's so deep and it goes so far back that it's kind of no point of us doing. What we do, what we do is we do what we can right now, and mm-hmm. we give a hundred percent. We give a hundred percent. See, that's the thing. Ain't nobody giving a hundred percent in this thing until something happens. Until we got a big issue where somebody, some guy, go out there and he, you know, I, I think what was it? Um, Ayana, she had the guy on there that had like thirty-two kids. And, oh. Um, yeah, yeah that and it was, was a, just... and it was and it was a big story. I mean, it was a great series. I watched it, but my thing is, we wait till we see somebody like him on there, and we got all these different opinions about it. But that that's a prime example of where we can just start to work on the problem right there. He wasn't in half of their lives, and you know, was doing this and doing that. Like, if we, if we can just do our part, and then we all come together collectively, we got to understand the the uh, issue first. And we can come together collectively on one accord and understand the issue, mm-hmm. fatherlessness. That's that's A. And then B, we figure out respectively in our own areas how to do something to tackle that. For example, in Richmond, they have the Richmond Family Fatherhood Initiative. That's not fixing the whole problem on the, the whole globe, but mm-hmm. locally it's helping some fathers. They have a 16-week fatherhood program, and I've been a speaker for it for years now, and what they do is they show fathers how to be a father. 
and they make them understand that no matter what your situation is, you've been incarcerated, so what? You don't make any money, you lost your job, so what? You don't have any education, so what? You still need to be there. But they teach them that. And some of these fathers and mothers and parents have to be taught how to be parents. And that's the thing. A lot of us make a child and you put in the parent role, you have that title, but it doesn't mean you know what you're doing. And so we have we have classes that actually teach them how to be a father. They go through a 16-week course. At the end of it, they graduate. They get certificates. They bring the kids. They bring the mother. I mean, we work through some tough issues. And what I'm saying is that we know that that's not going to fix the world, but mm-hmm. that's fixing the lives of these individual fathers, which is also helping these individual kids to not get out there and be statistical regarding um, falling into line with uh, promiscuity, gangbanging, violence, all that stuff. It's fixing those sixteen, those, those kids or those 16 fathers. So we're doing our part. So mm-hmm. that's to say everybody just needs to do their part. We can't say, I can't fix it because it's too deep. It's too much. It's going to take too long. We just do our part. And over time, it'll, it'll start to gradually get bigger and bigger and bigger until you see a, a shift. Just like we talked about that shift, can the judge say the shift from mm-hmm. fathers doing what's right to that they don't? Well, it can also shift back, too. It just takes time. Okay. Now, with your program that you were involved in, what is the success rate after they graduate from the program? Um, and I don't have the numbers. I can definitely get the numbers for you, though, because um, I've pretty much been a guest speaker. Like, I don't, um, you know, put the program together and, and, and mm-hmm. you know, uh, track the numbers and everything, but they have the numbers. I can definitely get those for you and, and present them to you for sure. But it does have a high success rate. I will tell you why. I just don't know the numbers. Because I asked them that. I said, do you all monitor that? But they do it for the sake of, um, you know, like when, they, when they're looking for grants and, you know, things like that. You have to monitor mm-hmm. the pre and post, you know, uh, numbers and whatnot. But what they do is they don't let them go like, after they graduate. They don't let them go. Now you're on your own. Go be a great father. <laughs> you know, like they they follow them. Uh, they, have a, they have alumni gatherings, and they ask them, like, you know, what issues are you facing now that you're done? Um you know, what's the current issue? How can we help you? So they continue to follow up with them. They pair them with a mentor, because I've been that before. They pair them with a mentor, a father that's been, you know, doing it for a while to maybe have some better access to better resources and whatnot. So the success rate has been great because of the work, that's been, the post work that's being done. So that's a critical piece right there. That that is great to have uh, classes and, and things like that, but if you let them go after that, it's kind of it's kind of pointless because they got to have something to hold on to after it's over. And I give you an example. It makes me think about foster care. I worked in uh, I worked as a life skills coach for an independent living program, and the kids come in there from foster care at 17, and we do all this great work with them. But at 21, society says we got to let them go, so they they don't have any more funding, and they're out of the program. And those success rates weren't that great, just to be honest with you, because we had no follow up. And they used mm-hmm. to kill me as a worker because I'm like, man, how do we do all this great work and now we don't have a follow-up? And so I would literally run into the foster care youth that I did all this great work with. I'd run to them a year later, and they'd be on the street. Mm-hmm. Or I'd see them in the gotcha, on the gotcha paper. And the gotcha paper here in Richmond is the paper that shows who's been arrested in the area. So I would see these same kids that I was just proud of for, you know, not getting into trouble and changing their life, and they're, within a year's time frame, they're arrested. They're on the street. They're in jail. And so it's all about that follow-up. So we work with these fathers, these absentee fathers. We not only got to teach them how to be better parents, but we also got to follow up. We got to be um, continuous with this work. You know, we can't do it one time. Okay. Now, my question to you is, 
what made you so so successful? You know, you are a black man. You have a great job. You have great activities and outreach um, events and skills and things that you're doing. And you have three degrees. How did you get there? Oh, man. Well, you know what? I, I hope it's not cliche because this is my answer, <laughs> but it's faith in God. It's just it's being, being dead real with you. Um, mm-hmm. I I was one of the same guys I just talked about, running around, you know, acting crazy, like jumping, you know, different uh, woman to woman and, you know, fighting. I had a lot of anger inside of me, and I know that anger stemmed from my, my father wound that I had. Um, but I've also always been a faithful man, um, you know, even when I didn't recognize fully how to maneuver that way. I didn't recognize my gifts fully. Um you know, like I have a gift of discernment, and I just have my, my physical gifts that God gives me as far as writing and things like that. I didn't recognize those growing up. But as you grow, you know, hopefully in the spiritual realm, um, your faith should increase. And that really happened to me as well as just natural maturity as well. So when those two things combine, spiritual maturity and this, and this you know, real-life maturity, um, and I've always been a driven person. I've always been driven, even if I was driven to the wrong thing. I was mm-hmm. very driven. So that that synergy of those three things enabled me to turn things around. But the main thing was faith. And so when it came to me turning around, I was able to, when I became a, a father, I was 25, and I became a father. And at that time, I didn't, I didn't know my biological dad. I was still dealing with that situation. And I said to myself, I said, okay, uh, I'm going to try to make this work. You know, I had a family thing. I wasn't trying to do no baby mother stuff. And, and she and I broke up, and I said, uh-oh. I said, okay, now I'm a statistic already. But I'm I'm doing, like, self-evaluation, and I'm like, okay, this is not going to happen. I was like, you know, my, my son is going to know his dad, but I just know him. I'm going to do everything that my dad or whoever should have been there hasn't done, and I'm, I'm going to be the opposite. So it became my motivation. Like, society would tell you that you're going to repeat what your parents do. But that is, that's not the God that we serve. You know, we can turn all that stuff around, and that's how that's what I was able to do. Um, from that maturity and those things I, I listed, I became like a super father. Like, I was always there, um, even if, at times when, when my son's mother and I didn't see eye to eye. I never took that as a, this is my chance to break away. I'm home free now. I can start going out to the club and hanging out with this and that. I went to court. I battled over him. I battled over my rights to him because I knew how important it was to have a father in his life, and I knew how important it was for me to be a positive male role model. That's the thing. We got it. We, we're designed to be there. Whether we're there or not is our choice, but we're designed to be there. So I knew that, and I fought for him, and I saw the difference. Like, it was a difference when he was with me. There's no disrespect to anybody else, but as these fathers are listening right now, if they're active and good in their son's life or daughter's life, this should be a difference. When my son is, was, was with me, his posture was better. His uh, discipline was there. He was very respectful. He never talked back. And it was like those are things that sometimes the mother was dealing with. And when she called me and said, is he doing this with you? Nope, not at all. And that saying is like one parent's better than the other. It's just somehow with daddies, when their daddy is there, them kids just respect their daddy. I don't know if you just know people like that. But it's just, mm-hmm. it sometimes make you it sometimes make you mad as a mother, don't it? It's like the, the kids disrespect the daddy. So if you see that that's something that happens like kind of worldwide, and you don't know why it is, but it's just that, why wouldn't you not want him to be there? Imagine if he's there. All them disciplinarian issues that are happening, the other things that are happening, those things might be rectified with just that male presence being there. And I saw that. I said, man, he's acting he's acting a lot better 
when I'm here. So I couldn't imagine him, me not being there, for him to act worse. You know what I mean? So I made mm-hmm. sure I was there, and I made sure I, I said, okay, I don't want to just be here, but let me set an example. When I started um, having my traveling stage play and my book finding against my father, I'd bring him with me. But he was young. But it was like he, he, I wanted him to not just hear me talk, but see what I do. And people were saying, you shouldn't tell him your story because he's not ready for that type of story. I said, I'm going to do better than telling my story. I'm going to show him. He's going to sit here with me. He's going to sell these books for me. He's going to be a vendor with me. He's going to see me do the stage play. I'm going to bring him on stage. He's going to hear my story so much that he can tell it. And as my son got older, he started walking up to people, hey, you know about Vincent Ellis White? That's my daddy. Well, he got a book called Finding Christmas My Father, and he would tell the whole story. And they would laugh and everything, but I, but I talked to him and I said, you know, do you understand why this is an important story? And he was like, yeah, a lot of people don't have fathers in their life. He's like, a lot of my kids in my classroom don't have fathers in their life, but I do. And he's like, so now I know that it's a privilege. He, he, I said, well, son, I, I'm supposed to be there. I said, but nowadays it is a privilege because a lot of fathers are not there. One out of every, what, three or four fathers are not there. So my son understands all that at the age of nine now. You understand how ahead of time he is just for me being there and able to show him these things? But now he also can see with his eyes, and that's how we learn the best. He's able to see stage plays and traveling and books and entrepreneurism and stuff like that. He's able to see all those things. So it's just my faith and maturity and me seeing results. I think impact is what um, really helps me, too. When I see him do better, it's, it's impact that helps me. When I see a crowd full of people in front of me, and then I get all the emails and calls and stuff like that, and they say, oh, my God, your story changed my life, da 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 That's impact. That that helps me to go forward, and just makes me get better and better and better over time. So it's not like it's all of a sudden I snap my fingers and it happened. It took time, mm-hmm. but also took faith and all those other things. Okay, give us a brief synopsis of Chris. Finding Chris, my father. Okay, well, growing up, um, I grew up, you know, in a single uh, parent home. My mother and, you know, uh, my grandma was helping her. And my uh, father, that I knew as such, was always in and out of jail. But I never knew it. My family told me that he was in school. And so I used to be taken to the uh, jail two, three times a week to to visit him. Um, And people always say, well, how did you not know he was in jail? And my answer to that is, well, I never saw any jail bars. When I when I would be taken to see him, I would sit at a picnic table. I could reach out and touch him, play basketball with him, and everything. Meet his friends, and um, it, it didn't look like a school. It didn't look like a prison to me. It looked like it was school. So I went with that, and that's what my my mother and my family told me. So for years, I just remember him being, you know, in uh, jail. Sometimes he was home, but it was he was a habitual offender, so he was in and out. And so that's what I knew. I started developing this anger for him not being there because I wanted him home. And I was acting out a little bit, but I still had this strong, you know, um, love for my dad. And the times he was home, we had a great time. And that's what I knew. Um, at, at the age of 16, my mother sat me down and she said, I want to tell you something that's been heavy on my heart. And she said, the person you know as your, um, as your father is not your biological father. And, um, when she said that, it just it, it sent my world upside down. Like we got into a big argument, and prior to that, prior to that, I had never really got into no major arguments with my mom. Like I was very respectful of my mom, but that day, like I went off on her. Like just went, you know, we we went head to head. Told her she was a liar, all kind of other stuff because that was the only dad I knew. Even though he wasn't a great dad in my mind, 
That's the only dad I knew, and I definitely loved him to death, even though I had my issues with him. So when she said that, I didn't even ask any additional question. I believed her, but I just, I just was so mad. I just, it threw everything upside down. Like I started acting out in school, started acting out in relationships. Um, I didn't trust anybody. Like me and her didn't talk for a while. Um, and prior to that, I was like tight with my family on both sides. Um, but when I found out, I disowned my entire family on his side because I said they're not my blood. And I went on, graduated um, high school, um, went through college. When I turned 21, I called my mom and I said, I'm changing my name. And she was like, you know, why are you doing that? And it was all uh, uncomfortable, the fact that I was doing that. I told her that I didn't feel comfortable having that name because he, he gave me his name even though he wasn't my father. He signed my birth certificate, gave me his full name uh, and everything. So that's what really bothered me. That was carrying this man's name come to find out he wasn't even my biological father. That was a problem for me. Um, and so I changed my name to Vince Ellis White. It was Vince Lopez not the third. I changed it to Vince Ellis White because Ellis was my grandfather's name that I knew for 13 years growing up. Um, all my cousins had the middle name Ellis, and the last name White was my mom. I knew she was my blood because she had me. So I was like, it made sense to my 21-year-old mind. And that's why I tell people that's when I knew I was going through an identity crisis because I was trying to figure out who I was. Um, and those are things that happen, you know, when you have a situation like mine, family secrets and absentee father. So um, as I started to get older, me and my mom were able to talk about it without me getting all angry and stuff. She actually dropped another bomb on me. She said, well, I never told your biological father that he was your father. And I'm like, wait, 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 because I had gotten angry. I was already angry at the father that I knew um, called Lopez. You know, he went by Lopez. I was already angry at him, but then I got mad at, my biological father, because I said, where was he at? When, when I met her at 16, all she said was his name is Chris, and that was it. No, I didn't have any information or anything. So when I finally talked to her later on after changing my name, she said he never knew. I said, so you never told him. And so I immediately let that anger go for him. And um, I also wanted to know where he was at that point, because I was like, man, he walking around here and don't even know he got a son. Um, So, you know, some years pass and go by. And I am uh, seeing the name Chris Anderson everywhere because that was his name, Chris Anderson. That's all she told me. And I see the name everywhere, and I'm wondering where he is. I'm looking for him. My mom's searching for him. I remember one time she told me she called me, and she said, I thought I found him. And um, she said she went down to social services because she had them looking for him. And when she got down there, they, they had a white man <laughs> waiting for her. And they said, this is based on your information. This is the guy that we believe is uh, Vince's father. And, you know, she was laughing, like, no, that's not him. And they kept trying to convince her that this guy, this white guy that they brought in was. She was like, listen, I know who the father is. It's not him. And that's how common his name was that they were bringing out white people to, to think that he was a father. And I saw the name everywhere. When I Googled it, like, three million names came up. But um, at the age, I don't want to spoil the story for everybody. You got to go get the book, Finding Chris, My Father. But I will tell you that I did find him. And the way that I found him um, was a just a crazy story that you wouldn't even believe is real, but trust me, is real. But I ended up finding him. And uh, you got to get the book, Finding Chris, My Father. And, and the reason I say that is because not just for the, the way I found him, but it's a story of hope. And it also talks about the things, the symptoms that come from me not having my father there. And a lot of things could have been different. Um, I spent some time in jail, which I, I had a lot of symptoms from the person that I thought was my father. And I ended up, but I ended up turning around. But I did a lot of things that he did too. And it goes to show that you got to have a positive role model in your life. And also, I also like to write. I wrote that book rather 
to expose family secrets. I can't stand them. I know we all have them, but I can't stand them. And if we could just be mature or adult enough to get them secrets out and deal with them how we need to deal with them, it would change so much. So, you know, my story finding Chris, my father, has helped thousands of people um, with their lives, but more so I've had people tell me that after they got my book, they decided to let a secret out of the bag, and it enabled them to be able to rectify a situation that they would have probably kept inside. That's what I'm most proud of. I've had people, like, literally come up to me and tell me that or or share their story with me. So you got to get the story Finding Chris, my father, mm-hmm. on Amazon. Um and just, you know, follow me on social media. I love to get the feedback from the story because I guarantee you're going to love it. That's for, okay. more, that's for, um, for certain. I am. I love to read, so I will definitely be getting that book. And that's really interesting, um, especially the point that you make that, you know, it's not about the biological father, but the father factor in general. Like you said, right. you know, when we began this whole dialogue and how important it is to have a positive role model in your life. Because it's those models that you're looking at that are creating who you are going to become. And you said it, that you modeled your behavior behind the man you thought was your father. Right. And now the thing, I think what kept me on track and out of, like, like jail for a long time and out of, like, doing gangbanging and the real bad stuff was that I did have some positive models along the way. Um I spent, you know, some years in the Boys and Girls Club, and so I'm glad my mom knew to put me in that. I was, I mean, I would be there 8 to 5 every day. I would go to camps in the summertime. A lot of great role models were there, and I think that kept me on track. I had, you know, mentors here and there. Um, and, you know, I, my mom kept me in church. And even when I was acting up, like, the whole week and the Saturday night before that, I still had to be in the church on Sunday. So, I mean, like, she, I had positive male models in the church, as well as things like boys and girls stuff. So you're right. Like that 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 balance I think kept me from going too far. Mm-hmm. You know, I still did my stupid things, but that that balance kept me from going too far. So I always look at it like the what if. Like what if I had somebody that was actually there that set a great example up front. I mean, you know, um it's just you never know where you can go. So I really um I really think that's important. To uh can you hear me? Yeah I can. Sure. Okay, I'm sorry, I think yeah, I really think that's important. I think that's what kept me. Um, mm-hmm. Ultimately, I think it was just it was faith in God, but I'm just also letting you know God will place people in your life as well. Uh, he'll place, a, place a, a seed in the mom and say, hey, I know the dad's not here, but you need to get him into something before something happens. <laughs> so that's when, you know, you can get him a boys and girls stuff, you can attach him to a mentor. Um, and it's funny because later on as I got older, I started mentoring. I never, I never went to school for that. I never decided to be a mentor. I mean, I never had a passion to be a mentor. I just got into the field somehow. I didn't say, oh, I have a father wound. Let me go be a mentor. Like, I didn't even put the two together. But I just ended up becoming a mentor. I ended up um, doing motivational speaking, you know, here and there. I ended up um, switching fields all all together. I mean, and, and next thing you know, my last, like, my next four jobs after that were all in a field where it's helping families and youth. And I had no degree in any of that. And so that's why I just think it's divine intervention because I ended up telling my story a number of times before I ever had a book. And then some people end up living my story with me because it happened where I found my dad while I was working with youth and things like that. And then it went from there to them singing me and my dad interact. My dad comes to every stage play I have now. Um, My dad promotes my book. I mean, he's he's so proud of everything. 
You know, he uh, comes to my stage plays. You know, I've even had um, a recent movie offer, like a Hollywood uh, movie mm-hmm. offer, because people have been telling me for years your story sounds like a movie, but I don't, I don't, I don't think that that could happen. You know, I just I, my mind wasn't there yet. But I also didn't think I could write a book. That happened. I also didn't think I could write a stage. I mean, have a stage play, and that happened. So now I just my face has exploded to where I'm like anything can happen, and it just so happened I got a um, a, a book option. I mean, a movie option to turn my book into a movie. So that's on the table. It's not official, but it's on the table. So it's a beautiful thing. God is good. Yes, he is, and that's amazing. Now, that's not your only book. That's the one that's getting the most acclaim. You have another right. book called The Fully Seasoned Man's Relationship Recipe? Long title, I know. <laughs> yep. Um, it's called The Fully Seasoned Man's Relationship Recipe, and I released that in um, – 2009, actually, and that book gained a lot of um, notoriety for me locally in my um, home city of Richmond, Virginia, because uh, it was it was a book I always like to say it's the book that it's the it's the uh, the local version of Steve Harvey's book. My book came out before Steve Harvey's first book, How to mm-hmm. Act Like a Lady, Think Like a Man, mm-hmm. um, and it's and it's very similar to that. It's, it's just you know Steve Harvey got that star power, but my book was just like that. But the beauty of it is, is I. I lived it. I didn't have any ghost writers. I didn't have a team of writers. Like, I lived it. I also did the research for other guys. And my book was pretty much about the same thing, which is just, I think it was foreshadowing to let me know that I'm on, I'm on Steve's heels because it was the same thing. And uh, I was basically letting these women know that how to, how to watch out for these guys and, and these wolves in sheep clothing and what to look for. But what I did was I flipped it to where it's like a relationship recipe in the sense of this is how you can watch out and weed out certain guys. This is how you can also have a great relationship. And I treat it like a recipe, like when you're in the kitchen and you're cooking, you know, when you decide to come up with your your dish, it's certain things that you got to put together, certain ingredients. It's also, once you get started, you might say, I might have put too much in there. Oh, I don't need that. So you take out some ingredients. You know what you don't need in there from the beginning. And so you just got this whole recipe that you're um, creating. And so I just say, look at the relationship like that. So I got different chapters. Um, just, you know, showing you how to weed out certain guys and showing you how to keep them what to do and what to watch out for, having self-esteem and all those type of things. So, I mean, it's a great read. I think I think people should definitely pick it up. It's a great read. Um, a lot of women really love that book right there because it's giving that, that full-fledged, candid insight to a man's thought. And it wasn't just mine. Like, I interviewed guys that were on the other side of the world as well as locally. So, everybody would think it's just my thoughts. But it's a great read as well. And it set me up to be able to follow with my memoir, Finding Chris, My Father, was like you said, that's getting more acclaimed. But um, it enabled me to it let me know that I can write. And I still didn't look at myself as a writer even after my first book because uh, I didn't see it. But now, you know, I did my second book and I got another book that I'm working on now. So I now can officially call myself a real writer. <laughs> okay. Well, you were a real writer the first time you wrote anything, so... Right. <laughs> yeah, you you just decided that you were a real writer. It was already decided. Amen to that. Okay. Yes. Now, your stage play, where is it showing? How can people, you know, find out where they can see it? Well, I would I would definitely encourage everybody to follow me on social media um because I I live on social media and they're going to have and they're going to have fun if they follow me, trust me. Um, so on uh, Facebook, my name is just my name, Vincent Ellis White. Um, Instagram is Vincent Ellis White as well, and um, 
Twitter, I think it's Vince Ellis White because uh, somebody I don't know who it was. Somebody took my name, so it's uh, it's Vince Ellis White. So just follow me on Twitter and and uh, Instagram and Facebook because I make all my posts on there. And I say that because I don't have any definitive date. If people contact me and say, "Hey, I heard about your story. How can we bring this play?" Or sometimes I'll contact somebody and say, "I'd love to bring my play to your area," and um, they'll say, "Okay, let's do it." So I don't have like a long list of dates. But the dates mm-hmm. are always popping up, and they're coming, and then we set them up, and we make it happen. And I usually put it out on social media so that people can get their tickets, um, you know, purchase their books and everything mm-hmm. ahead of time. So if you follow me on social media, that's how you can find out what's going on. And, and okay. also, you know, purchase the books as well. Okay, because I'm definitely going to get both books because I want to read them. I want to see. I want to know. You got my curiosity all peaked now. I want to know. <laughs> yes. I am so glad yeah. you, you, you joined us because, you know, with everything that's going on, especially with all of these um, police shootings and and yeah. all of these, you know, what I keep seeing so much is really, really breaking my heart is all of these young men committing suicide. That's really yeah. bothering me, and I, 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 I don't understand, and I wish I understood, and I wish there was a way that we can help try to prevent this from happening so much in the future. But I, I was looking at a, a post about this, an article about this young man. He was an, a stellar athlete. And he shot himself in the head on, you know, his school campus yep. in front of in uh, front of people. And I'm like, what's going on? And see, that's the thing. I've I've actually dealt with that, not directly meaning myself, but uh, me working with youth for all these years. Um, I had um, a client, you know, um, commit suicide. I've had some close friends that have. Um, I mean, that client was successfully did so. I've had some close friends that have tried it. I had one, you know, um, told me right in front of my face that, um, you know, that that was that she was going to do that, and later on attempted it. And um, so suicide is very real to me. And these people that that made these efforts, whether failed or successful, they all blindsided us every time. And that's the part that bothers me. It's not even just the suicide, but usually people like to try to figure out how. Why didn't we know? And why Why this, why that? But the part that baffles me, like you say, you're baffled. What baffles me is how does it happen when nobody has a clue? Like it's different when you say, oh, yeah, well, that person was always depressed. It's like, you know, that that lets you know that, you know, you, you might have you might have saw it coming had you been paying attention. But imagine that person that is like so lively. Like you said, the person was a star player. Imagine the person so lively and they're popular. And you just got all the girls, got all the guys, and all of a sudden, boom! You know they 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 make this 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 uh, they 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 commit suicide, and it's like it blows your mind. That's the part that bothers me is because well, how do we rectify this thing if we can't even see it coming? But also, if you actually look up some of those people, a lot of them, guess what? Didn't have fathers in their lives. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that that's the savior of everything, but that's just a real fact. If you research them as well, a lot of I mean, even the people that I told you I know directly, none of them had fathers there. Um, you know, and it's and it's just it's 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 crazy how important that father figure is because you let the courts tell it and it's not a big deal. I mean, fathers rarely get custody of the kids. The mother got to be on drugs, and the mother got to be not doing. She got to be out there in the world or something like that for the father to get custody. It'll be a great father doing something. He would still just get legal custody. And that's it. And that's the part that's bothering me because they don't treat the parents as equal. When the father is, is such a critical part 
in the role because it can it can stop all this stuff. This God designed both parents for a reason. If the mother's a nurturer, that's needed as well as the father's there to be able to discipline and show example and lead and teach survival and teach all these different things. Those things are both needed to come together collectively so that this man can be great when he gets out here in the world. But if he's lacking that part, that one critical piece, he, he goes out there and tries to make up for it somehow. And um, with the police brutality stuff he was talking about, um, when they interview a lot of these mothers of, like, let's, let's say, like, the, I can't remember the name, but the, one of the kids that was out there, uh, you know, doing something, I think mm-hmm. he was looting or something like that, and then he got killed. Um, they interviewed the mother, and they found out she was a single mother. And they interviewed another one, found out she was a single mother, too. And I, and it, and, it's, and I don't think it's coincidental because I think this these things are related. It's, it doesn't have anything to do with the fact of police doing that because that's just wrong. But I'm saying, why are these kids fatherless? And and and, and you know maybe they would have been in a different place. Maybe you know they would have been doing something different. Maybe they would have had different mentality. So I just I like you said getting to the roots. I think you said that earlier. I think if we can get to the roots and try to work on it from the root or the ground up. I think that we can it can matriculate out to. Um, out to the masses and been able to have a great response from that. You know, that, that, that's, that's, that's all I'm trying to do from my small world here. And I'm trying to get on shows like this so that hopefully somebody listening from wherever your listeners are can be able to say, hmm, he really motivated me. Let me go to my hometown and start something. Or they read my book, Finding Chris, My Father, and say, this book really inspired me, and I know I need to make a change. Let me start now. You know, mm-hmm. that has already been happening, but if it can happen on a larger scale, that's a be, that'll be a beautiful thing. I'm just trying to be a vessel for that to happen. Yeah. It would be, and that's great. You know, and it's really interesting when we started out the whole show, we were just talking about all these different things, and you said that it doesn't have to be this huge pomp and circumstance. It has to start on an individual level. We as individuals are in a position to make a change with just one person. That's right. Um, I mean, I, I I recently spoke at my alma mater, Norfolk State, and um, I sat on a panel. It was only maybe like 100 or 200 students there, but um, I had a long line of students waiting for me when I was done on the panel. But this one kid was there, had a, had the screw face on and was looking all tough in the face and everything, but he waited in that line. And I noticed that. I said, he ain't tough. I was like, he, he waited in his line. He ain't too tough because he waiting. And so mm-hmm. when it got to him, he started telling me his story. He was like, man, your story really touched me because it sounded like my story. And he said, tell me how he don't have his father, and he found out that his father he thought was his father was not his father. I said, wow, you really do have my same story. We were laughing, but he had the screw face on. And I said, why are you looking so mean? And he said, he said, I said, let me guess, you're mad at your father, ain't you? And the thing is, I was able to call his whole story and his feelings for him without him saying it because I, I had the same feeling. So I told him, I said, listen, before we continue, you can take the screw face off. Like, I know why you're mad. And I, but but listen, you ain't gotta have that face on for me because I know you hurt too. And I just I just broke him down right there. And it wasn't also like let me tear you down. It was let me keep it real with you because I've been I've been in your shoes. I was you. It's just I'm older. And so he was like 18. So I told him my story and I told him to keep in touch with me and everything. This was a month ago. You know that boy. In a month, this is no lie. He'd been texting me. Um, you know, hey, just wanna. Thank you again for your time. Just want to let you know, I, ever since I met you, I reached out to my biological father because he knew his. It's just his father wasn't trying to be in his life. And so he said, I reached out to him because he told me he wouldn't in person. I said, no, you need to reach out to him. And he said, no, we went back and forth. I said, let me tell you, you do. I'm telling you, you need to. Even if he say, I don't want nothing to do with you, you need to make that effort. And he did. 
So since that month has passed, now he he texted me a few weeks ago and said, you'll be happy to know I'm meeting up with my father. I don't know what this, what's going to happen with this, but I am glad that I'm meeting up with him, and I know I wouldn't have even reached out to him if it wasn't for you. And I, and, and when, I, when I finished that text message, I was thinking to myself, that's the reason that I was there. Even though I probably affected more people, that mm-hmm. one kid now reached out to his dad and is now meeting up with his dad because of me. That's mm-hmm. a beautiful thing. That's that's not mm-hmm. affecting the globe, like I said, but it starts with me, with one individual, and now it helps him. Hopefully he can go out and help somebody else, and that's how we get it. We get things changing in the world. You know what I mean? One step at a time. Okay. Now, what we can do, and no, what you can do is your next book, your next book can be about the different lives that you've changed that you're aware of. Uh-oh, you said you started something now. That's, that's a good idea right there. <laughs> it would be that's great. That's a good idea right now, there. It could be finding Chris, my father, a part two to it, you know, how it has affected other people and their situations in their lives. And what, how about, what, about, um, what about finding my father help me? Well, not just too long, but I was thinking about some type of title where it's finding my father helped me to find solutions or something about finding solutions by finding the father or, you know, mm-hmm. something like that. And, uh, and then share, you know, testimonies of different people that I meet along the way or how it's impacted their lives. So you get my, you get my wheels turning now. Yeah, because you're doing all <laughs> these book signings and people are coming up and they're telling you their story and they're telling you their story for a reason. You have to document this stuff and let it show that, you know, your story is not just an isolated incident. That it has, it has, and still continues to happen to other folks. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, and I, and I and I have a great memory, so I've been remembering them. But you're right; I need to document it because that book of testimonies is going may help people the same way as my actual one individual testimony. That that book of a uh, uh, of combination of testimonies, I think that'll be great, and um, that'll impact them as well. And like I said, now I'm at a point where I want to impact them on a larger scale. So mm-hmm. That book may do so. Um, you know, the play does so, and, you know, prayerfully, if I'm able to make this um, this film happen mm-hmm. where we can base it off my book, Finding Christmas Father, uh, you know, who knows if the film gets out in um, in the uh, the uh, theaters across the world, now that story can reach masses. So, yeah, books, plays, film, all those things, if I can bring testimonies to life, um, that's, that's my goal right now. So I'd love to do that. Okay, that would be great. So... I mean, I am so glad we had this conversation, and I, yeah. I, there is someone that I want to connect you with, and um, okay. I can, you know, if this is your cell, I can text you that information so you can it have is. it. Okay, and that way, you know, it will be really interesting um, to see if there's something that you can do on that on that end in that perspective and stuff. But, okay, um, yeah, that's you right. Know, so glad we had this conversation because I grew up in a home without my dad and I did know my father. He lived in another state. He was married, remarried and everything. And, you know, it was what it was, but I had these amazing role models that scared the crap out of me. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So I stayed on the straight and narrow. Um, But, you know, it, it is important. Everything that you said is true. It is important to have positive role models in your life because you will model that behavior um, even if you say, I don't want to be like that person, you pick up little things, little nuances and stuff like that, and it carries with you, and you start doing those things whether you do it consciously or not. So, right. you know, those things are just so important, and your story is, you know, amazing 
just what you told us and the experiences that you have are equally amazing because that's just saying that whatever it is or whatever your purpose is, um, you're doing it and you are making an impact, and that's important. Thank you very much. I, I definitely agree. Uh, when I never knew they would get to this level, that's the number one question people ask me. How did you know it was going to get to all of this? And I say I didn't. I said, I, I, honestly, I'd love to say I'm such a great planner that all this was orchestrated, well orchestrated by me, but it was not. It, it's, 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 that's why I know I'm a vessel because it's God-ordained. Like everything that has been happening was not my plan. And now I'm at the point of, you know, where I am now and, even um, after your show, like, I mean, I have so many other interviews, and I have, I'm going to New York um, on uh, June 10th to be on TV, the Here and Now um, uh, new new huh? show, I'm going to Cali. I mean, so it's like my story is getting out there more, and it's affecting more lives as I get on a bigger platform. And I just, I thank God for it because I, I, I never planned it. Um, and so now it's just my mind is open to, man, how many lives can I affect? And I feel like when we have a big platform, you can either, you know, do good or do bad, be negative or positive. And so many people have a big platform, but they're setting a negative example. I'm just trying to make sure that I can set this positive example and push these fathers, push these mothers, um, you know, and these families together to co-parent and to come together. And it's for the sake of these um, the youth, you know, like these mm-hmm. the youth are just going out there in the drain lately. And so I'm hoping that I can be able to um, – Make make that change. So I definitely appreciate you, and I definitely want you to um, connect me with you know the person you were talking mm-hmm. about, and hopefully um, you know we can just take this thing further. Uh, I'm looking forward to my next book. I'm hopefully everybody listening can get my um, current book, Finding Chris, My Father, and they can tell their friends and family about it. Maybe listen to this show and share the uh, link for that. Follow me on social media, um, Facebook you know, Twitter and Instagram and just, you know, sh- and share the message so that we can get it out there with the ultimate result of curing um, the wound of fatherlessness in the lives of, of uh, our youth here. Oh, great. Thank you again. I mean, I am so glad I had this opportunity. And as I always tell my listeners, you know, you have to follow your dreams and you never know where they're going to take you. And you are a classic example of just following what was in your spirit and not letting anyone deter you from it. And, you know, you wanting to find your father was the catalyst to your whole platform now. And that's that was what it was you were supposed to do. This is just based on my perception. And, right. you know, you just got to be good to yourself also because that's important too because if you're not good to yourself, you're not going to be able to be good to anybody else. That's true. That's true. Health and everything. Not just, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, all types of ways. Got to be good to ourselves. I tell people all the time, if I'm not 100%, how am I going to help you? I, I got to get 100% right. first. So I got to get myself straight. And, and, I, and, I, and that's the thing. I was walking around with a wound for so many years. How am I going to treat somebody? Right. You know what I mean? So once mm-hmm. I get myself straight now, I can pass that, that, that greatness that I now possess on to somebody else. So you're right. Taking care of yourself first is the main thing. And people always put everybody else first or this or small need that they possess first, but they don't they don't heal themselves first before, you know, dealing with somebody else. And now they bring a whole other their wound to somebody else. Now you both got a wound. Ain't mm-hmm. nobody healed. You know what I mean? Right. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. You're right. You're right. Is this? Is this? Uh, I want to be able to share this link with people. Is this going to be available somewhere? Yes. Can... Okay. Great. Yes, it will be. So, 
Um, on that note, I'm going to let you go because I know you got other interviews you have to prepare for. I just want to thank you so much for taking the time and opportunity. I want to thank Double Exposure for um, giving me the opportunity to really meet you and speak with you. This has been just an amazing experience for me. Oh, man, bless you. Thank you so much for your passion. I can tell you have a passion for it. and uh, I definitely, uh, you know, appreciate you taking this time out of your day to interview me. And I look forward to, you know, hearing from you with that connection and all the listeners. I appreciate you all taking your time to listen to my story. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. To all my listeners, you know what the deal is. It's the end of the show. And as always, be good to yourself and God bless. All right, God bless. That's our show for today. So until next time, keep it real, listen, learn, and live. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.